Shachtan, an Indo Askelige. Time in Mon Irok the Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vien Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919, 1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. Just a warning before we get into this podcast, please be aware that this episode contains graphic details that some people may find distressing. Today on the Indo-Daily, the Ashling Murphy murder trial, Garda tells of so much blood. Today, the Central Criminal Court heard evidence from a Garda and a colleague who attempted CPR and chest compressions to Ashling Murphy after they arrived at the Grand Canal in Tullamore. I'm Fionan Sheehan, and today on the Indo-Daily, I'm joined by Catherine Fegan, special correspondent with the Irish Dependent, live from the Central Criminal Court, to recap on today's statements, including that from the Garda who was first at the scene and the coroner who conducted the post-mortem. Catherine, today we heard from Garda Tom Dunn. He was the first member of a Garda Shiakana at the scene. So what did he describe? Yes, uh, Garda Tom Dunn, he's based in Tullamore Garda Station and he was the, the the person who received the call about what was happening at the canal. So he said he was in the office in the station. He got this phone call about an incident at the uh, at the canal. The man on the other end of the phone sounded very distressed. He said that he couldn't really make, make sense of a lot of what he was saying, but he knew that the incident had occurred uh, between Boland's Lock and Digby Bridge. Uh, he said that he put down the phone immediately, that he went, he went to another part of the building where the detective unit was based and he told them about what happened and that he, he was going to make his way to the scene and could they accompany him. So off he went and a col- him and a colleague, a guard, a hunter, went in the first the first patrol car to the scene. He said he got there, he got out of the car, um, he was directed to the scene uh, and he said he put on some disposable gloves and went to the ditch where he could see a female lying on her back. He said he checked for a pulse he, he he said he couldn't he couldn't detect a pulse and if there was a pulse it was very faint and he said he started to do CPR and chest compressions. It was him and his colleague and they they, they took it in turns to do the CPR and the chest compressions. He said that he noticed that there was a lot of blood. He said there was a lot of blood at the scene, a lot of blood over the um the, the victim's face. 
and he said it was impossible to tell where this blood was coming from. And he said him and his colleague did CPR for about 10 to 15 minutes and then the, the paramedics arrived and t- together with his colleague and these paramedics, they lifted the body from this ditch onto the footpath. Uh, he said that a, a defibrillator was applied to the body, but there were no signs of life at that point. But he said when they lifted the, the Ashley Murphy's body onto this footpath, he was able to get a better look at, at, at her face and her neck. And he said he noticed at that point a number of holes or puncture wounds around her neck. He said again that there's just an awful lot of blood on her face, that her hair was matted and it was kind of caught in the briars. Again, an awful lot of blood. Kept talking about all of this blood at the scene and around her neck. He said that he noticed she was wearing uh, a camogie top, a local camogie top uh, from a local team. And that he could also see that she was wearing a gold necklace with the name Ashling on it. Now, we also heard testimony from Emma Doyle today. Who is she and what was her involvement? Yeah, so Emma Doyle was another civilian witness who gave evidence today. Uh, she gave evidence this morning and she said that her parents lived close to the canal, that on the 12th of, of January 2022, she'd gone to visit her parents, uh, that she'd been into the house and she died, She decided to go for a walk with the dog. She said she went, set off for this, this walk around three o'clock in the afternoon. And in the course of that walk along the canal, she encountered a man on a bicycle. She said that she saw a woman and a man um, walking along the canal. The woman w- w- was beside the man on the bi- bicycle. Um, he was cycling very close to this woman and she initially thought they were together. But then he moves away from the woman on the bike and she realised they weren't together. She said that she noticed he was wearing a black tracksuit suit. Uh, top and dark trousers, uh, that he had dark crew cut hair, that he had sallow skin. And what she described as very striking eyes, uh, she said that she didn't think he was Irish, that as he was cycling past her, he said hello and off he went on the on the bicycle. Also heard from Dr. Sally-Ann Collis. Uh, she conducted the post-mortem on Ashling Murphy what did she describe? Yes, Dr. Sally Ann Collis gave her evidence this afternoon. It was very detailed um, uh, evidence. She said that she ha- had examined the body from head to toe and that she had determined the cause of death as stab wounds to the neck. And she went through in a, a lot of detail the various injuries found on the body. She said there were 12 wounds inflicted by a knife that 11 were stab wounds and one was an incised wound, which which is a wound where it's longer rather than, than deeper than a stab wound. She said that one of these wounds uh, went through Ashley Murphy's voice box and that along with that injury and other in- injuries around the neck, that would have meant uh, she probably could not have been able to speak. Um, now, at this point, Ashley Murphy's family are in court. They're in the second row in the in the public gallery. And her father became quite upset at this point. He started to break down and, and hid in his hands and began to weep. Um, as Dr. Colas went on, she said that some of the wounds were in, in keeping with having been caused by a serrated blade 
and that she had found injuries on Ashley Murphy's hands. Some of these may have been defensive injuries, which which she she might have got when she was holding her hands up to protect herself. She also said that she found evidence that suggested that Ashley Murphy was swallowing blood into her stomach, that she was uh, inhaling blood while she was alive. So it was very, very, a very, very lengthy testimony, very, very detailed. She went through each of those stab wounds in detail in terms of length and width. Uh, and it was a long, long uh, afternoon in, in court listening to all of that evidence. The the court was again full capacity and, and it wasn't the overflow that you had on the previous days? No, no overflow today. And I think that was more to do with um, the fact that there was no courtroom available for an overflow. It certainly wasn't because there were limited, less numbers in the court. Um, the public gallery is full. There are two rows of, of journalists, of media representatives. There are two rows of uh, extended family from Ashley Murphy's side. There are also a lot of pe- people from, from Tullamore supporting them. Uh, and we have um, Yusuf Pushka's family in, in the back row of the courtroom. A lot of people coming in and out during the day. So it's very, very busy down here in court number 13. Does the trial continue tomorrow? Trial continues tomorrow. And we're set to hear uh, a lot of evidence and testimony related to the CCTV evidence that Gardy collected related to this, this crime. And my thanks to Catherine Fegan at the Central Criminal Court. I'm Fiona Sheehan and today's episode was produced by Garrett Mulhall with sound by John Smith. You can follow all the updates from the Ashling Murphy trial on the Irish Independent. If you have been affected by this podcast, you can find a list of helplines by searching Someone to Talk To on the Irish Independent website. If you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review. This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919, 1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts.